We're on page 916 if you're using a pew Bible this morning. In Acts chapter 7, we're continuing on in the sermon series, The Giver Gets the Glory, our study in the book of Acts. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. We've said this is an important section for three reasons, and we've been in it for three weeks, really. This account of Stephen and his defense to the religious leaders. We said it is important because it was the first, it caused the death of the first martyr in the church, in the Christian church. Secondly, it caused religious leaders to commit murder. And thirdly, it is the longest section of a sermon we find in the book of Acts. And so it is significant, this text here. It's also pivotal in the fact that Acts will change gears after chapter 7. There will be a distinct turn in the road as we go into Acts after this account this morning as we look at the death of Stephen. It, it sparked something that dramatically changed the church at this point. But this morning, what I want to do as we come to Father's Day is I just want to ask a question. I want us to answer a question. I think this text answers that question very well. And that is the question on Father's Day, what is a Christian man? What is it? What is the essential thing? This is is really to get it even more precise. What is the essential difference between a man who is a Christian, and a man who isn't, a man who is a believer and one who is not. What, what if you boil it all down and you cut right to the core, right to the foundation of it, what is that difference? We're going to ask several questions about that this morning. The, the first question that we will ask, because I think in this, in this text we see a great contrast. We see that contrast very very succinctly here in this text of what makes that difference. And so so the first question we would ask is, and I think this is the difference, really. This is this is the essence of it. What what produces that essential difference that makes one man a Christian man and another not a Christian man? You you see two two types in this text. Look look with me at it for a minute. Look at verse fifty five. This is how it describes Stephen. First martyr, obviously a Christian man. There's no, no doubt about that. He was the first martyr. The book of Acts holds him up as the first of many and of those who are continuing to be martyred. In fact, Jesus won't return until the full number of the martyrs has come in. That's, that's what will determine when Jesus comes back. When the last martyr, part of what will determine it, part of the, the gospel will go to all nations, all people groups, but then 
the last martyr also must come in before Jesus will return. Stephen was the first. But in verse 55, it describes him here. It describes a Christian man. It says, but he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, right there, full of the Holy Spirit. If you look at the contrast, you find that also in the text as we look at it this morning because we find the response of the religious leaders and and you get it really up a little farther. We didn't read it this morning, but you get the contrast up in the text that we had last week. If you look at verse 51, this was part of Stephen's address to those religious leaders. He said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always, what? Resist the Holy Spirit. So Stephen is described as a man full of the Holy Spirit. The religious leaders are described by Stephen as resisting the Holy Spirit. And so the thing that produces the essential difference is the Holy Spirit. A Christian man possesses the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within him. A non-Christian man does not have the Holy Spirit within him. That's the difference we see here. The, the religious leaders versus Stephen. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Other places of Scripture talk about the Holy Spirit that way. If you, if you turn to the chapter 8 of of Romans, if you want to do that. I just want to look there for a moment. I want to lay this foundation that that is the essential difference between a Christian man and a non-Christian man. It is the core of it. It is the foundation of it. So if you're going to describe a Christian man, you must first of all say he is a man possessed by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 1 of this text. It says, Therefore, there, excuse me, there is not, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a description of a Christian, one who is in Christ. And then it goes down in verse 9 to describe what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be a Christian. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So again, the emphasis is a Christian has the Holy Spirit residing in them. And so at the core, at the essence, at the foundation of of what the difference is. It is really simple in, in, in many ways. One possesses the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in them. And in another, he doesn't. It's what says in the text where it says the religious leaders resisted where Stephen versus was full of the Holy Spirit. So as we begin in asking that question, I think it's important for us to to talk about what Christianity is not. If this is what it is, if this is the essential thing, then what it is not is a self-improvement program. The Christian man is not one who's done a better job in the self-improvement program. It's not essentially what makes him a Christian. Nor is it a matter of temperament. He's just a nice guy. You see, people can be nice people because of temperament. 
And it's a temperamental issue. But it's not about temperament. Christianity is not about self-improvement at its core. It is not about a matter of temperament. That is not how you determine it at its essence. At its essence, the way the Scripture describes, a Christian possesses the Holy Spirit and a non-Christian does not. It's that simple. And the Scripture would go on to say it's a matter of being born anew by that Spirit. Being born anew. You've heard that terminology. When I was in college, that terminology kind of got walked all over the top of the whole born-again idea. And it, it, it actually, as I was in school, took on a negative kind of connotation where you didn't necessarily always use that term because of what it brought to people's minds. But it, it is a biblical term that a Christian is born anew. They pass from spiritual death to spiritual life by the Spirit of God dwelling in them. The Spirit brings them to life. And so again, the essential Difference is determined. Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, again, a Christian, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So, if, if the Holy Spirit is the decisive difference, the foundational difference, if that is what it is, it leads us to a second question. A second question we want to ask of this text and ask of ourselves. What is the difference that that makes? If that is the essential difference, what, how does that manifest itself? What, what begins to happen in one versus the other, in one who possesses the Holy Spirit? I think the first thing that we would say, it produces a difference in the way we think. It, it, it fundamentally produces a difference in, in how we think. A Christian thinks differently than a non-Christian. They, they just because of this possessing the Holy Spirit. Think differently. Listen to what it says in Corinthians. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man, the unbeliever, the, the non-Christian, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Who has the mind of Christ? The Christian has the mind of Christ because the Spirit of God dwells in them. They think fundamentally different. Now, go back to our text, the weeks that we've been in this text. One of the ways they think fundamentally different was in Stephen's defense. Again, we have the contrast of the religious leaders versus Stephen, the Christian versus the non-Christian. And one of the things that Stephen said in his defense, and one of the points that he made, and we talked about it last week, is that, that God will not accept the boasting of the work of people's hands. In other words, one of the ways that Christians and non-Christians think differently is a non-Christian thinks that faith is about the work of his own hands. In the text last week, if you remember the, the two places that it, it came against it, I, I'd take you back to, to uh, Acts chapter 7, and, and you'll remember in the account that Stephen was giving to the, 
religious leaders and trying to refute their charges at him, one of the things he said is, and they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the work of their hands. Remember that text? As he was talking about Moses and talking about the history of the children of Israel to the religious leaders and talking about the fact that they had rejected the prophets and all of that. But fundamentally in there, he says one of the things that they were doing is that they were rejoicing in the work of their hands. And then he goes on to talk about the temple, if you go over into verse 48, and it says, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. One of the accusations that was made to Stephen is that he, he was talking about the temple being destroyed, that it was going to be destroyed. That was that you, you are guilty of that, guilty of defaming uh, our temple. And, and that's why they were bringing charges at Stephen. And, and here in his defense, he, he is saying to them, basically, you are, you are and all of, of your predecessors of, of, of the faith, of the Jewish faith, not, not everyone, but for the most part, were, were trying to develop and you are guilty of trying to do it in the work of your own hands. In other words, you're trying to somehow work your way to God. You're doing it your own way. And a fundamental difference between a believer and an unbeliever is a believer realizes you can't do it in the work of your hands. Realizes, in fact, God will not share his glory with another. And if we're to be saved, it will be God who saves us. And he saves us in the work of his Son. And when Jesus finished the work, he didn't leave any left for us to finish. The atonement is fully finished in Christ. And so one of the fundamental differences between a Christian man and a non-Christian man, it isn't that a non-Christian man may not be religious, may not have spiritual dynamics to his life, but the spiritual dynamics that he brings to the table are dynamics that he can produce with the work of his hands that he somehow can take credit in that work of salvation, whatever he sees as salvation in his life. And the Christian understands fundamentally that the gospel is about the fact that we cannot save ourselves. We must look to another. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. It begins there in him saving us. We are wired to want to take credit. We are wired to want to get the glory. If you remember, I closed that message last week with the theme of this whole series that the giver gets the glory. God is about his glory. He's not going to share that glory with another. And, and to accept the work of our hands as contributory to our salvation is to do just that. And that is not the gospel. That is not what Christianity teaches Christianity teaches fundamentally that we will boast only in the Lord and not in the work of our hands. It, um, it is over and over again, it, it is in, appears in Scripture. Let me read a text to you. You don't, don't have to turn there, but just let me read a text to you that, that we read in Scripture. It says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For this 
to this day when they read the Old Covenant. And this is a picture of those religious leaders, of those who were resisting the Holy Spirit. To this day, the scripture says, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. The essence of what that text is saying to us is that there is a veil over the unbeliever. There's a veil over his eyes. He doesn't see the glory of God in the face of Christ. He continues to try to do the work of his hands rather than surrendering to a God who promises if we will, he will save us. We fundamentally have our minds renewed and and a veil is taken away by the Spirit. That's part of what the Spirit does as it enters into our life. He, He removes a veil. He removes false thinking that causes us to want to do it by the work of our own hands. The other thing that, that I think changes in our thinking is, is we begin to understand history properly. One of the defenses, and I want to go back over all of this, but one of the defenses that Stephen gave in defense of the fact that he, he has, was being accused of going to destroy the temple and destroy the customs of Moses, he came back to them to say, you don't understand history. You would understand that the promise given to Abraham was, was not to just be contained in a temple, but, but the Lord blessed Abraham to bless the nations. That's, that's critical to these people to understand that. They misunderstood history. They thought history re- revolved around them and their world and around their temple rather than realizing that that was a picture of something that was going to be fully fulfilled in Christ, that Christ would be the true temple, and that this gospel was not just for a Jewish people, but it was for the nations who would come to be reconciled to God in Christ, in the true temple. So they misunderstood all of history. And one of the things that happens when the Spirit of God begins to move in our life and enters into our life, we start to see history correctly. We start to view it all in relation to Christ and his coming. And the unbeliever doesn't fundamentally do that. The other thing that they misunderstood, um, and they misunderstand without the spirit of, of God dwelling within, and it really is on the point of work of your own hands, was they misunderstood the law. They misunderstood the purpose of the law. An unbeliever sees the law differently than a believer. A believer comes to understand that the law is a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. In other words, the law that is given in the Old Testament was was always something to cause us to see that we can't do it ourselves. We can't fully fulfill that law. We can't live it perfectly. And so we would have to look someplace else for our hope. The law is a schoolmaster. A law is to come to show us our sin. And the fundamental thing between a believer and an unbeliever is a a believer by the Spirit of God begins to see their sin, begins to see the magnitude of their sin more fully. They mourn over their sin. And uh, 
and God works in them. Where a believer, an unbeliever begins to think somehow he can live that law and again do the work of his own hands. So our thinking becomes different. We see our sins correctly. The second thing, we, we, our minds get changed, but the second thing that happens, the, the difference that happens as a result of the Holy Spirit being in us is that we begin to have our whole spirit and nature changed. Who we are becomes different. God renews us. We, we begin to be conformed more and more to the image of his Son, and Christ becomes our life. One of the descriptions of the Holy Spirit living in us is he becomes our life. God becomes our life. And you see a distinct difference in this text as you look at the story of Stephen and you see what happened. Let me, let me take you back to it. As these particular religious leaders ground their teeth and they were committed to getting rid of Stephen, you begin to see Stephen's response as they were stoning him. It says, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, said this he fell asleep. In other words, he was praying for their forgiveness. His spirit had been changed. Christ was his life. Christ was his life. He didn't have to grab the stones and hurl them back. He surrendered to the circumstance that was there and and in the midst of that circumstance, in the midst of those stones being hurled at them, he forgave those who were hurling them. There's a distinct difference that happens in the life of a believer. One of the things that we have said here a number of times, and, and I think it has application in this text, is the difference between a believer and an unbeliever, because of the Spirit of God within them, is the Spirit of God gives them life. Christ gives them life. Where an unbeliever, their life is being found someplace else. Their life is being found in the work of their hands in some way, shape, or form. What gives them life is what they are creating to give them life. And one of the ways that you can see the difference between a believer and an unbeliever in their spirit is when, when who is giving you life is being pressed upon, how do you respond? How do you respond to that? In fact, the other way to say that is you can find out what gives people life by what their response is when they get pressed upon. What is giving you life? And for an unbeliever, here in this text be an example of it, for these religious leaders, what was giving them life was the work of their hands. And Stephen came and pressed upon that, and they hurled stones. Versus Stephen, who Christ was giving him life by the Holy Spirit, as the stones were coming, didn't throw him back, but he expressed forgiveness. He asked God to not hold against them their sin, to forgive them. You see the difference in that? That's a difference that the Spirit of God creates in us. As he is our life, we respond differently. We respond differently than others. And then certainly, we, don't, we won't spend a lot of time in that, but we must say that one of the differences that the Holy Spirit makes is that he causes us to face death differently. Certainly Stephen faced death differently because he was a Christian. He knew that death was not the end. Death, death would not take away his life <clears throat> Excuse me, because his life was Christ. 
You see, for a person who is holding on to something else to give them life, they will fight to the end to save that life. They will fight to the end to save it because once it's lost, they are lost. They've got to hold on to it. Where a believer doesn't have to hold on to it, he can release it because death isn't the end. Christ is their life. And so they just continue on in eternal life. So the way we die is different. Now the question, the third question I want to ask as we tie all this together is, if in fact the essential difference is the Holy Spirit, and we've looked at the fruit of that Holy Spirit and how it's worked out, the third question is, how does this difference come to take place? In other words, if the essential difference is between a Christian and a non-Christian, the possession of the Holy Spirit, then I think it's important to talk about how we come to possess the Holy Spirit. How, how do we come to have the Holy Spirit reside in us? How do we come to pass from death to life in Christ? It's important that we end there. And look at verse 55. I think the text again gives us the answer. It says in verse 55, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. How does it take place? How do we come to possess this Holy Spirit? The answer is there. We look to Jesus. We look to the work of Jesus. We look to the gospel of Christ. We look to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, if you will. It's interesting in this text that it says... Um, He saw Jesus standing, but then it goes on to say, and he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing. One of the interesting things, I don't want to lose you with this point, but we've talked about it before, is that that 2,000 years ago, Jesus became fully man. He continued to be fully God from all eternity past and all eternity future, but 2,000 years ago, he took on another identity of being fully man. And he will continue to be fully man for all eternity future. So when Stephen looked into heaven, he saw a man. Fully God, fully man. And in all of that, what Stephen saw was the gospel. Again, reaffirmed to him. Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, as we spent months in that book of Hebrews, walking through it. The scripture in Hebrews says Jesus entered in 2,000 years ago. He became fully man for one purpose, that he might die as a man, because it would take the death of a man to save mankind, of a perfect man, Jesus Christ. And you see, the way that we come to have possession of the Holy Spirit as we begin to see the glory of the gospel that the word became flesh and it dwelt among us and it dwelt among us as a man a man the second Adam if you will who did what the first Adam failed to do he lived perfectly and he came to possess a righteousness because of his perfection the perfect life that he lived that he could share with us that he could give us his perfection and that we could, in fact, 
be reconciled to God. So you see, the way you come to possess the Holy Spirit is you become to embrace that truth. You come to the point in your life where you, by the Holy Spirit as well, see the glory of God in the face of Christ. You begin to see it in all the work that Christ has done. And you cast the full weight of your hope in that work, in the gospel, in the finished work of Christ. And as, as the Holy Spirit draws you to see it and brings you to embrace it, he comes to dwell in your hearts. He comes to live in you. He comes to make you, if you will, a Christian man. The essence of Christianity is possessing the Holy Spirit in your life. You stand really here this morning in one place or the other. Every one of us in the room. Now, the point I would make is we don't always know those differences. As I stand here, I can't say, you go this way, you go this way, because you're in this camp and you're in this camp. I can't do that. Only God knows fully all of that. But the truth is still the same. We are in one of two camps. We either in the camp this morning that, that uh, are resisting, as these religious leaders, the Holy Spirit, or we are in the camp that Stephen stood in that describes him as a man full of the Holy Spirit. We either have the Holy Spirit or we don't. We either resist the Holy Spirit or we surrender to the gospel call that God has made upon our lives. The question I ask, have you cast your hope in Christ? Have you cast it there? Have you put it in him? That's, that is what begins our walk with God. And even, even in that, even your ability to cast your hope there is the Holy Spirit drawing you and working in you and causing you to see it. I hope this morning that you know the reality of putting your hope there. In fact, I would quit. I would quit tomorrow doing what I just did today if I couldn't declare that kind of a gospel. You see, this gospel, as I go back to it again, is, is not about um, self-improvement. To be a Christian is not about self-improvement. If all I could do is get up here every Sunday morning and say, just get better, just improve. It would be fruitless. Or if all I could say is just be a nice person. You see, none of that, none of that at an essence is the essence of Christianity. The essence is, where's your hope? Where does your help come from? Does it come from the work of Christ or from the work of your hands? Have you looked to him as your hope and your help and and not looked anywhere else? This morning, I would invite you as the worship team comes to to just consider that question. Is, Is your help from the Lord and all that he is for you in Christ? Do you know the reality of the Holy Spirit residing within you and changing your thinking and changing your spirit and changing the way that you view death? We're going to sing this morning even a song that talks about how, how quickly life goes by, how quickly this life is over. We sang it already this morning. Do you see that reality? Have you embraced Christ? I pray you have. Let's stand together as we sing.
Lord of the ages, God before time, we are a vapor, you are eternal, love everlasting, reigning on high, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. in them. They've not surrendered their life to the gospel claims and all that Christ has done. That, that even this morning, Father, they would, they would look to Christ. They would declare in their hearts that they're going to trust the finished work of Christ for their sin. And they're going to, they're going to cast aside the work of their own hands and realize that their only hope is Christ. It, it's much, Father, like the words of Peter when he said, there's no place else to go, Lord. Only you have the words of eternal life. I pray that, Father, even this morning there might be someone here who, who comes from death to life and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in them as they put their faith in Christ in his finished work. Lord, we pray you'll do that work and that you'll strengthen the hand of the Christian men that are here, that we will determine anew and afresh to to walk by your Spirit, to have the mind of Christ and the Spirit of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you. Dismissed.